I hope that um, as we come to this section of God's Word, the church in Ephesus, and we speak about the theme, when love grows cold, that picture would remain in your heads. Because it could be describing us. But let's see what the Lord says to us through His Word this morning. So I'm reading from Revelation chapter 2, and we're reading the first of these letters to the seven churches, and this time the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduringly, enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As we approach the seven letters, we need to just have a little bit of a background look at these letters. They all have the same rough format. All seven, churches, all seven letters to the churches start with a greeting to the angel of the church in and then a city's name. Today we're looking at to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And then Jesus Christ, who is the one pictured here, identifies himself. In some way, he, he names some characteristic of who he is. And this time he says, I hold, I come to you as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And we're going to see why he uses that imagery. And then the next thing is a commendation. He'll say, I know what you've done, yet I have this against you. Except for one church, and that was the church at Smyrna, that was different because they were already under so much extreme persecution. One doesn't know if they could have taken any negative, oh, not sorry, not even negative comment, but something which they were doing wrong. And then we have a warning. Remember something. Today it's going to be remember from where you have fallen. So it's a warning to them. And then always the exhortation in every single letter. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to, and note, the churches, plural. It's not just to the church that the letter is written to, but also to other churches who would hear this letter and also to us today. And then lastly, there would be a promise. To him who overcomes, and then a promise. And we're going to see what these promises are. So that's the general format that most of the letters follow. 
how do I, how do we apply these things? There's a right way and a wrong way. First, the wrong way. It's incorrectly taught that the letters to the seven churches describe seven successive periods of church history. There's no other evidence for this at all in Scripture and so we can't go with that suggestion at all. If there was other evidence in Scripture, yes, it would be uh, something we could examine, but there's no other evidence suggesting other periods and so we have to push that aside. Rather, the, the description to each church each church's triumphs, each church's failures, their struggles. There's a kind of a mini catalogue of the sort of things we can expect in the rest of the churches in history. And so when we read, read about the church at Ephesus today, we'll see that they, they had some struggles, they had some triumphs. And it's kind of a mini list of other things we could expect in churches in the rest of history. You see, according to God's point of view, not according to a church's website, According to God's point of view, not all churches are equally healthy. That includes our church. Their faithfulness, their laziness, their complacency, their tolerance of false doctrine is important to Jesus Christ. And therefore he makes, it makes a difference in both how they should respond and also how they are to be judged one day. And so that's why these things are highlighted to us. And that is why too, today we need to examine these characteristics carefully. So when the Lord is describing the characteristics of the church at Ephesus today, we need to be listening at the church, as the church at Wanganui East. Because some of these things could be describing us. And we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to show us which characteristics are found firstly in this church and secondly in you and I. We make up this church. And if those characteristics are found in this church, then they're found in us. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to point them to us. Why? So that we can respond faithfully to the Lord. So that we can come and we can see our failure, we can repent of it, and we can live godly and obedient lives from today onwards. So that's why we look at these things today. And so I ask that you would open your heart to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. Because you make up this church. I'm part of this church as you are part of this church. And the Lord points to our lives. And he's been pointing to me this week. And I want to share the love. His love. So that he can point in your heart too. Let's first go back to Ephesus. We need to get a little bit of background here. And so the city of Ephesus. I'll put a map up there for you. It was located on the western coast of Asia Minor on the Aegean Sea near the mouth of the Caesta River and in many ways it was a little bit like Wanganui and then not. Its harbour in its glory days had the biggest ships in there and they got a lot of money from the shipping itself. And Wanganui, if you look at our history, we had the same. However, its harbour silted up and it lost a lot of that shipping revenue and the whole city was affected, much like Wanganui. don't know if the Lord's pointing to us directly, but here we go. And as the whole city, and maybe this is what the city fathers could look at as well, they moved the whole city away from the, from the harbour and the river frontage because they kept having flooding problems. 
The city was easily accessible by highways coming in and out of it. And um, it was the major city in Asia Minor for its time. It was the main commercial centre of Asia Minor for a long time. It was a really wealthy city. It was a very prosperous city. And it had magnificent architecture. When the revenue was lost from the shipping, the focus of the financial focus of the city changed to the shrine of the goddess Artemis or to the Romans, the goddess Diana. Artemis was the Greek goddess Diana to the Romans. And the focus of the whole city changed to this magnificent structure that they built in her honour. And there's a picture in the background of an artist's impression from the foundations today of what that looked like. And they've used drawings, they've found Roman drawings as well. And so, this whole industry surrounding the worship of Artemis or Diana was the main income for the city. And that's why the silversmiths in Acts chapter 20 were so upset when Paul came preaching and they lost their trade because many, many people were tied up in the crowds that were listening to Paul and stopped buying from them. And so their income was affected and so they started a riot against Paul and those who were with him. It was their main source of income. Some interesting facts about the temple and its surrounds, and if you look at that, it kind of makes sense. It's harboured criminals who would come and pickpocket and rob the worshippers who came to worship Diana. And then they would run into the inner courtyards of the temple where there were guards who would, for a bribe of course, look after them. And the inner courtyard of the temple was the most secure place because that was where all the money that was brought in in the worship of Diana was brought and it became like a bank. There were guards posted around to look after the money. But the criminals bribed them and so they found harbour there too when they'd robbed the worshippers. Interesting facts. But this worship of Artemis was evil. It might have looked magnificent, but it was evil. Her idol was depicted as a many-breasted monstrosity who had fallen from heaven as a gift to earth. And her worship consisted of gifts of money. You had to bring money to worship Diana. And you had to bring food to be sacrificed to Diana. And the worship then consisted of loud, incessant music, frenzied and chaotic praying, and that kind of reminded me of some church services I've looked at. Loud, incessant music, frenzied and chaotic praying, No one could make sense of what was being said. And this was all to this goddess. And this then included, after their services, they would have orgies of food, eating all this food sacrificed, and also sexual orgies with the temple prostitutes. And that was common. So that was the day of worship of the the goddess Diana. But then we come to this church at Ephesus. Now think... In the shadow of this massive temple to Diana, a church was born. And in God's timing on a specific day, a church was established there with a group of believers who came to worship God amongst this evil. And that was 40 years before this letter was written to them. A church was established there. The Apostle Paul left Priscilla and Aquila there during his second missionary journey. And then we hear too later in church history of the great preacher, Apollos, who preached with great burning zeal and many, many came to saving faith because of his preaching. 
Paul spent three years in this church um, in Ephesus on his third missionary journey to, to that area. And the Lord blessed his work while he was among them and also the work that they did into the surrounding area. And then later we hear of Timothy who came and he was the pastor here of this church. 1 Timothy 1.3 And a few years later, even the Apostle John, the writer of this book of Revelation, spent years there after he was released from the Isle of Patmos. It's very interesting that the early historian Josephus records an interesting fact about the Apostle John. He says that at a very old age, the Apostle John would be carried into the church service on the Lord's Day and he would often pray, a preacher rather, starting his sermon, little children love one another. Isn't that what his books are all about? I can see him doing that as a 90 plus year old, being carried into the service, preaching, little children love one another. I'm not a good imitation of an old man. Yet. And so there was the Apostle John, directly linked to this letter that he was writing now to the church at Ephesus. Let's look closely at this letter that the Lord writes to them. Remember who is the one writing the letter? It's the Lord writing through the Apostle John. So it's always the Lord writing. They received some praise at the time of writing this letter to them. The church was more than 40 years old, as I've said. And the Lord Jesus praises this church for its hard work and the incessant labour and their endurance for the sake of the gospel. There were some really good things they were doing. It had been causing the light of the Saviour to be shining out into the midst of the darkness surrounding them. All those worshippers coming to worship Diana. And these were diligent church workers and they were diligent for the cause of Christ and they were evangelising the lost. They were building up the saints and they were caring for those in need because the Lord recommends them. Oh, sorry, He commends them. And He also praises them for their continued intolerance of false apostles. There were many false apostles coming into the church and undermining the work that this church was trying to do. False messengers who were teaching a false gospel. The Apostle Paul had warned this church previously. This is what he said in Acts chapter 20 verse 28 to 31. He had warned them, he said this, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things draw away disciples after them therefore be on the alert he had warned them and just as he had warned them it had happened people had come from among the church would be shepherds and they started a false gospel and Christ commends them for standing up verse 6 against the works of the Nicolaitans now we're not told much about the Nicolaitans except that they were a heretical group rather they were a heretical group. In other words, they didn't preach truth. They preached error. And what were they preaching? They were promoting the teaching of Balaam, which goes back to the Old Testament. Balaam was the one who taught Israel to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and also who taught Israel to commit sexual immorality as well. He had taught them that. Jezebel had done exactly the same and she is mentioned. 
In other words, they were being taught to compromise with the world. It was surrounding them and they were being taught, it's okay, you can compromise. And that's why the Lord himself identifies himself as the one holding the seven stars firmly, is the Greek word, in his right hand. I have you in my right hand. I can see what your messengers are doing. I can see what they are doing to my church. And that's the identification he brings with this church. There were false messengers among them and Christ says, I know about them. And then after this commendation, he raises a concern with his church. You see, they're not a perfect church. When you read the first part of that letter, it sounds like they're the perfect church. They sound like us. But he raises a concern. He says, there's an accusation against, that I have against you. This is what I have against you. You have left your first love. You see, among all this work they were doing, and they were working hard for the Lord, they had lost the reason for their work. They had lost their first love. This current generation of believers may have been doing a lot of religious work and they were preaching correct sermons, but their heart was not in it. There was a dying away of their love, which was at the centre of their good works. They were going through the motions of service to Jesus Christ, but their affection for Jesus Christ had cooled down. The outside of the church through its activities looked good, but it was rotting at its centre. And that's why Christ addresses them. You see, they'd open up the door to spiritual apathy. They'd open up the, the door of their hearts to indifference to others. They'd open up the door of their hearts to a love for the world and to compromise with the evil which surrounded them. And there was a deadly spiritual cancer eating away in their hearts. It's a bit like the relationship between a husband and a wife. It doesn't start in a major way, does it? Not generally. It starts in a small way. With eyes looking away, with maybe time not spent together. Not communicating with each other. And then slowly, 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 the distance comes in. And the heart cools down. Until it lands up where there is no more marriage. It's much the same their hearts had slowly started separating from their Saviour. It started in little increments, but it ended in an eternal divide. Jeremiah the prophet had warned Israel many, many years earlier. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. My people have done two evil things. They have firstly abandoned me, says the Lord, the fountain of living water. And what have they done instead? They have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Think of that picture. There they were with the fountain of living water amongst them. And what did they do? They decided to push away, to walk away from that living water and to dig cisterns or wells holding water. But they had cracks in them. And so every time water was in them, they would just drain away. So what did they have? Emptiness. Nothing. And they would die if that continued. Jeremiah had warned. And here it was happening in the church in Ephesus. Christ now warns his church, get back to your first love. 
Fix your eyes back on your Lord again because that's at the root of it. You've taken your eyes off your Messiah. You've taken your, love, your eyes off your first love. Your eyes have wandered away and your heart has followed. Your heart is no longer taken up by a love for your Lord. It's cooling down. How were they to love Christ again? He says to them, remember from where you have fallen. You see, how do we get back to the Lord? The Holy Spirit points us back to where we were and where we are now. Where were we when Christ saved us? He took us from darkness to light. He gave us light and life where there was darkness and death. He made us in Him. And now, apathy has set in and we have drifted away. And we are very far from Him, He says. Therefore, He says, you need to repent. What does that mean? It means you need to deliberately reject your sin and you need to ask God to forgive you. And then He says, do the deeds you did at first. Remember when you first loved the Lord? You couldn't find enough days and minutes in the day to serve Him and to tell others. You were so excited about everything that happened. And then slowly, it just kind of cooled down. That's what happened in this church. He says, get back to the deeds you did at first. In other words, recapture the richness of studying the Scriptures with your heart. Get back to devoting yourselves to prayer from your hearts. Get back to worshipping God from your hearts. Christ says to them, love me again like you once loved me, my church. But there's a warning. He says to them, or else, you know what that little word means. We sometimes have to use it with our children. You need to listen to mommy and daddy, or else. It's not pleasant usually which follows, whichever form that might take. He says, I've given you the warning, and if you don't listen, or else, I will come to you. And the word he uses for come to you is the word used for quickly. I will come to you deliberately. I'm not going to leave it. It's that walk you have, you know, when your kids have done something wrong, you say, I, it's this walk. There's intention. It's quick. You all know that walk. Come on, don't look like you don't know it. It's not just me. That's the word the Lord uses there. It's the Lord word for, I will quickly come to you with intention. And what is he going to do? I will remove your lampstand. What is the lampstand? The lampstand is the witness about him into the world. And just as as their city was removed and relocated, and Ephesus would understand this, as they were relocated and moved away from the river and away from the source of their income, he will remove their lampstands from its position. And they will become a shell of a church going through the motions of worship and eventually they will get weaker and weaker and then die. And so he warns them. In today's terms we'd say you will get weaker and weaker and get turned into a coffee shop or an art studio. This is a good corner. He who has an ear, let him hear says the Spirit to the churches. What's John doing here? He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. He's quoting from Jeremiah 5.21. He's quoting from Ezekiel chapter 3 
Verse 27, he's quoting from Jesus Christ who said it many, many times. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A general warning going out not just to the church at Ephesus, but also to all future churches. And it's a warning that comes to you and I who make up the church here at Wanganui East in New Zealand. He who has an ear, let him hear at once what the Spirit says to this church. Hearing which leads to action. That's what Jesus taught. He who has an ear, let him hear. Hearing which leads to action. And here's the action, and with a promise, He, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Isn't that an amazing promise? To him who overcomes, in other words, to him who is the conqueror, that's the word that's used there, to him who has the sin, but he conquers it with the help of Jesus Christ. To the one who fights against sin, and who perseveres in their love for Jesus Christ. To such a conqueror, there is promised something so much better than that what the world has to offer through its banquets and its food offered to idols and its sex. But those who are not the promised ones. The Lord says, I have so much more to give you. You will eat from the tree of the life, tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Now in Genesis chapter 3 verse 22, we had to do with two trees. The one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not that one. It's the other one which was there. And it's going to be in the new Jerusalem. And we're going to read a little description of this tree. And you need to really use your picture mind now because, okay, it might be a tree and we're going to eat literal fruit. We'll see. But I think the Lord is speaking so much more here to us. Let's see what he says. Revelation chapter 22. These are descriptions, and John read it to us earlier. The, the Saint John did. Um, Revelation chapter 22. Listen to this, verse 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. Now remember we're speaking about the new Jerusalem, that which God is going to create again. He showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, here it is, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And now go to verse 14. There's another reference. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city of the gate. Sorry, and they may enter the city by the gates. And then verse 19. Rather, 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, now watch, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Would you miss out on the glories 
and the good promises that God has for us when He comes again, then we need to be obedient now. Otherwise we will miss out. He speaks to us as a church. And so Church at Wanganui East, what do we do with this passage today? What do we do with this letter written to the Ephesian church, but which also speaks to us? And I'm going to get personal today, as I sometimes do. What is the commendation, perhaps, that the Lord is giving to us here this morning? And I'm putting the principles He's given to us here at work. Firstly, we see that the Ephesian church was zealous for doctrinal purity. And I believe so are we here at Wanganui East. This church has been known for 70, oh, longer than that now, we are over 100 years. We've been known for a long time as a church which preaches God's word, hopefully, faithfully. We're known as that in this community. However, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were also zealous for doctrinal purity. So what's the difference between them and us? They had lost their love for Christ Jesus. They were so blind, they didn't want to see Him. Do we still love our Lord? Have we still got our first love? Where is the heart of this church? And the heart is you and I. Where is your heart? Is there perhaps a disconnect between the doctrine as we understand it as intellectual truth and the doctrine we live out daily as we go out of this place. Is there a disconnect between the two? In your life? My life? And how we know there's a disconnect will be seen, it will be seen in the way we worship our God together. It will be seen in the way that we pray together. It will be seen in the way we work outside of this church for Jesus Christ. It will be seen in the way we live out Jesus Christ to our neighbours, to our friends, to the way we reach out into our community. Is there a disconnect? Secondly, is there a condemnation perhaps for our church? Is there a word that the Lord brings that He says, I am not pleased with? You see, the primary meaning of the word lampstand in the Old Testament was that of witness. Israel had been a lampstand for many years, but when they abandoned their call to be a light to the nations, says Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 to 7, God took that light away from them for a while. And He raised up the Gentiles. And He raises up the Church of Christ those who are to continue to be this light to the nations, according to Jeremiah chapter 31. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ talked of believers as lamps, which are put on a lampstand. Why? So that there's always this close correlation about witness into the community. We are to be a lampstand, a lamp on a lampstand, so that we are a light into the community. You see, the love of Christ is always at the heart of evangelism. How are we being a lampstand to the people around us in this town, in Wanganui East, just around us? It's a real question to us as a church. I believe this is our weak point. And I speak as a pastor, I'm as guilty as the next, because I'm supposed to help lead. But for a long time it's been on my heart. Evangelism as a whole church is a weak point of our church. 
The Lord is pointing to us today. What will we do as a church, Wanganu East? Firstly, it's not all lost. We can love Christ more, starting with me, starting with each one sitting here. Love Christ more. When we love Christ more, we will want to speak about Him. We will want to tell others. We will want to go to others. We won't be afraid to knock on doors and speak to whoever about Christ. When that love of His overflows, we won't be able to help ourselves. So we need to love Christ more. And then, well, why not start neighbourhood discussion groups? I've got a DVD series here called Life Explores. It's on my shelf. It's unused. Someone would like to borrow it from me to ask basic questions which lead to discussions about the Bible. It's that one where you can get your neighbours and have a barbie and then just show it and have a bit of a discussion going. Speak to me if you want to use it. Do you use your own home deliberately to encounter non-Christians, to bring them into your home, to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Have a barbie with them, have a meal with them. Show Jesus Christ in the way that you live. But do it deliberately. What about holiday clubs? I've mentioned this a few times. We've got summer coming, not now, it's too rainy. But there's, there's a whole holiday period coming and all we're asking is three days, two hours of those three days. And we want to run a holiday club on the lawns outside here in Wanganui East and invite the children to come and play games, and then have a little 10 minute time of talking to them, and on the Friday, invite their parents, have a cup of tea with them, and just shortly explain why we do what we do. Is there anyone who wants to join us? We can't do these things alone. It's reaching out to our community. What about Church at 7? We, every now and then we have a meeting at 7 o'clock at night. We haven't had one for quite a while. What about using those to reach out into our community by putting on a video and then having some discussion afterwards? Anyone who wants to help us with that? We're looking for the labourers. We need to reach out into our community. What about your own personal testimony? Are you scared to speak out about your faith at work, at school, at uni? Be the one who is the lampstand. Maybe there's something else that I haven't mentioned that's on your heart, that the Lord is putting there. Come and see us as leadership. Let's talk about it. might be something we've never thought of. But we need to be lampstands in this community of Wanganui East. Thirdly, what about you and I? When the Lord spoke to Peter about his spiritual condition on that lake shore after Peter had denied him three times, we find this discussion happening in John chapter 21. Jesus called Peter aside and he said to him three times, Peter, Cephas, do you love me? And of course Peter said, yes I do Lord. But then the Lord asked him again, Peter, do you love me? The Lord asks you and I this morning too, do you love me? Do you love me with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength? Or has your love for me cooled down? I'll use the modern phrase that many of us understood. Have you fallen out of love with me? I hate that, but I'll use it. Have you fallen out of love with Jesus Christ? Does your love for Jesus Christ show in the way you spend time with Him? In the way that you pray? In the way 
that you appreciate and treasure His Word? Does it show in the way that you love your neighbour as yourself? By taking them the Gospel message. Or perhaps you've been tempted to take on the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Perhaps you've been tempted to compromise with the world, to merge with the world around you. It could be that the cold heart has started to divert those eyes very far away from the Lord. Well, here's His promise to you this morning and I want to end on this promise. He promises to you and I this morning, verse 7, To him who overcomes, to him I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. It's not too late. We've heard the warning of the Lord to us as a church, to us as individuals. It's not too late. The, double, the sharp double-edged sword of him who walks among the church can cut away the sin of cold-heartedness. It can cut away this disobedience to our Lord and it, He will help us to stand again and to bring His Word and to love Him for who He is. But we must act. It won't happen just by thinking about it. We must act. We must act today. We must return to our first love. Jesus Christ, if we want to taste of these heavenly rewards at all, it starts with how we react to His Word this morning. What will we do with it? Will we allow it to just go away again and recede from our memories? Or will we come to Him and in obedience and repentance before Him fall before the throne of grace and ask our Lord to forgive us? and to draw us close to Him again, and to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, which will receive the love of Christ, and to once again be lamps which will radiate out the love of Jesus Christ, because He has radiated His love in our hearts once again. Will you do that with me, Wangnui East? We're not told what happened to the church at Ephesus. All we know is there's no church there today. It's a ruin. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to this church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You picture yourself as the almighty, all-knowing, victorious Saviour who holds us tightly in His grip in your right hand. And you say to us today, I know your works. I know the passion and the zeal you have for me. But I have this against you. That perhaps you've lost your first love. Lord, if that is what you are saying to us as individuals and as this church, we want to plead for your forgiveness today. Lord, our eyes have been taken off you. May you put our eyes back on your own person again, on Jesus Christ. May the centre and the focus of our lives be you and your kingdom and not the world around us. And Lord, once you energize our hearts and give us that life that should be there, 
May the love for you radiate out as we turn around and look at the world around us and see them with different eyes. A world that is lost. A world that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have that message in our hearts. May we go out into this world, into Wangana East, and may we take out the love and the message that Jesus Christ saves and that God loves this world so much that he sent his son. May we take out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, keep us close to your heart, we pray. We walk away so quickly. Our eyes get taken to the world so quickly. And then we lose our focus. Save us for your service in this town. Now and until you come again, Lord, keep Wanganui East Baptist, a church which is a bright lamp on a lampstand for Jesus Christ. In your service we pray this.